Good morning, everybody. Glad to have you here. Glad you're here with us this morning on a nice spring day. Um, how many of you thought that April Fool's Day came two days early on this weekend? I mean, that's kind of a couple of our kids. We have five kids. I think at least two or three of them were in denial yesterday. Like, I'm not even looking outside. Nope, it's not snowing. That's not happening. You know, but then you step outside and you're like, man, that really happened, didn't it? So we're in this series, this new series called King Me. Um, last week, um, Adam started, started us off. We looked at the story of Adam and Eve. And, and this series is about how God has given us crowns. God has given us um, responsibility and authority, each and every one of us. And so we look at what that means. Last week with Adam and Eve and that responsibility and how they were crowned and, and they were with God and they were to look over and steward the garden and kind of figure things out. But the problem is that they step beyond their authority, that their authority is limited. And what happens when we step out of the bounds past what God has given us to steward? And when we look at the law of self, and seek what I feel is right for me, rather than what Jesus has called us to do, and that is the law of love, and asking the question, what does love require of me instead? And so that was last week. This week, we're looking at moments, instead of moments where we go past our authority, we're going to look at moments where we have this crown, we have our crown, we have the authority, and instead of stepping into that authority and responsibility, that we simply give it away. We set it down. And we miss opportunities to be able to act and be a part of God, God's work and what he's doing. And we just kind of lay it aside. And the question is, you know, why do we do that? Why, when we have this authority, when we've been blessed by God, each one of us has gifts, each one of us has talents, and God wants to use us, and we have this, why do we just lay it aside? Why do sometimes not just lay it aside, but I hand it to somebody else? And, and despite best intentions, I know that where the other person is leading me is not right, but I, for some reason, follow them anyway. I was the younger brother growing up. I'm the youngest in my family. And when I think back to my childhood, I really believe 95% of the time I got in trouble, I was standing next to my older brother. Um, seriously, I really think back of the times like I got spanked. I'm like, I think my brother Aaron was there with me getting spanked at the same time. And I'm pretty sure most of the time it was his bright idea um, that got us into trouble. And one thing I think about is, when I give my crown over to somebody else and let them lead, even when I'm not in charge, I still got spanked. Just because I was following somebody else. I mean, like parents, we say, if somebody jumps off a cliff, would you jump off a cliff? You know, the consequences are the same, whether it's your decision or whether you're just following somebody with a bad idea. Why do we do that? Why do we set that crown aside? Why are we sometimes so quick to, to hand it over to somebody else? We're going to look at the story of Israel this morning. We're going to think about 
how they did this, what God intended for them. Um, we're going to cover about a third of the Old Testament, um, but don't worry, uh, we'll fast forward through a lot of parts, okay? Uh, but the story of Israel and, and what God intended for the people of Israel. Last week we saw how Adam and Eve, how they fell, and when they went past their authority and the consequences of that meant that they were dethroned and they had to fight the, the ground no longer produced. And so we see that mankind just goes in a downward slope. Everybody's doing what they want. Uh, it's considered one of the worst times in the world. Uh, there was great violence in the world. And out of this time, God calls a man, Abraham, to follow him. Abraham loved God and he followed God. And he says, I want you to go. I'm gonna lead you somewhere. You don't know where we're going yet but I want to bless you and I want to bless your family. And Abraham followed. He followed God. Abraham wasn't perfect, but he followed God and he stepped out in faith. And because of that, God came to Abraham and said, Abraham, you're an old man. You're an old man, but, and you have no children, but I'm going to bless you. I'm going to bless you because you follow me. I'm going to bless those who bless you. And I am going to bless the whole world through your family. You are going to become a great nation. You're going to be famous. And I want to bless you through that. And so Abraham stepped out in faith. And fast forward, Abraham has his son, um, Isaac. And Isaac steps out in faith and he follows God. He's not perfect, but he's following God. And Isaac then has a son. He has two sons, but Jacob um, was the chosen one, and he had 12 sons. And the nation of Israel continues to grow and expand. And during a time, the, of one of Jacob's sons, Joseph, finds himself in Egypt. We're just flying through Genesis, by the way. Um, and so the Israelites find themselves, um, because of a series of events, um, God saves them during time of famine, and they're in Egypt. They're no longer in the promised land of Canaan, um, but they're all the family of the Israelites. They're in Egypt. And they're there for nearly 400 years. When Joseph was basically prime minister, um, things were good. The Israelites prospered. They had a good piece of land in Egypt. They were growing and they multiplied greatly. So much so that they became almost as numerous probably as the Egyptian people. And the Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, saw this was several generations after Joseph was gone and he, forget who's Joseph, we don't know who Joseph is. And so Pharaoh just sees this people in the middle of his country and he goes, wow, that's a pretty, they're not Egyptian, but that's a significant power. And he was fearful, and so he enslaved the Israelites when they were in Egypt. And life became very hard for the Israelites. And for generations, the Israelites suffered under harsh slavery. The rules kept getting worse and worse and worse for them. Um, I mean, where their male children were being killed so that they wouldn't be so prosperous. And life under Pharaoh was incredibly hard. So you had the Israelites, and they cried out to God. 
You said you're going to bless our family. You said you gave this promise to Abraham. Where is this promise? And so the story comes with Exodus where Moses is raised up and God calls Moses to go free his people. And Moses goes and he goes before Pharaoh and he says those famous lines. God says, let my people go. And we see God shows his power. He shows his grace, his compassion for the people of Israel. And he overcomes at that time probably the most powerful kingdom in this world. And through the plagues, through all the stories, and God, through Moses, leads the people of Israel to freedom. They cross the Red Sea, the story, he parts the waters, they walk through on dry land, brings the water. As soon as they get across, Pharaoh's army is pursuing them and the waters come crashing down. And the people of Israel celebrate the salvation that comes from their Lord. And they call that the first the day of the Lord when God saved them. And they recognize that God is not far away, but our God is with us and he has saved us. And so God leads the people of Israel to the foot of Mount Sinai, the mountain of God. And he goes up to the mountain. And these people, they're still trying to figure out who this God is. We've heard about him. We've heard our fathers and ancestors talk about this God. And what does he want from us? What do we need to do? And so they go to the foot of this mountain, and God calls Abraham up to the mountain. And God gives Moses this message to give to the Israelites. And I'm just going to read it. This is what God says in Exodus chapter 19, verses 4 through 6. This is God speaking. He says, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. So Moses goes down and I mean, think about this. What God, this is the creator God. This isn't just a regional God. This is the creator God. And he brings them here and he tells Moses, tell the people, do you see how I saved you? That you leaving Egypt, I carried you like it was on eagle's wings. You didn't do anything. I took care of you and I brought you out. Let me tell you why. And he says, if you will obey my voice and you will keep your side of this covenant, this promise that we have, I will be your God and you will be my people and I will bless you. I will make you a kingdom of priests. At this time, to be a priest was not, it was more important than being a king, okay? This is to be connected to God that everybody within Israel would be considered a priest because they would walk with their God they would be blessed, and the world would be blessed, and they would be this light to the world. And God is calling Israel, I want you to follow me, every one of you. 
You will be this holy nation and all these other countries will look at you and they will go, wow, look at their God. Look at their country and look how blessed they are. We should follow that God rather than following these false gods. This is what God intended for the people of Israel. God was to be their king. They were not to have a human king. God would be their king, and all of them would be priests, serving with God, loving God, obeying him, and God would bless them. And so we see, you know, Moses comes down and and gives this message to the people, and, and Moses goes, so what do you say? And they're like, well, yeah, sounds great. We will follow God. And so for 400 years, so Moses leads the people, and they don't even get to the promised land before they stop really following God. They don't even get away from the foot of the mountain before they cast their first idol and worship a false idol. But God has given his promise, and he has this beautiful image of what he wants with the people of Israel. Have this beautiful relationship, them following him, leading them. And so we see the people of Israel, we're going to hit the fast forward button again through Exodus and Deuteronomy. They wander in the desert for 40 years, but at the end of 40 years, Joshua takes over leadership from Moses, and Joshua leads the conquest into the promised land. And God is going before them, the Ark of the Covenant, his presence, every battle that they fight. God is giving them victory. They're taking the promised land. They're driving out the peoples who used to be there. They used to worship false gods, doing terrible things. And and they drive them out, and they take the land. And God says, do not forget me now that you're comfortable. Continue to obey me and follow me. And the Israelites went, yes, yes, we will do that. And for about 400 years, they didn't do that. Everybody kind of went to their own area, all the different families, and everybody did basically what they wanted. And Israel struggled, and they continued to start to follow the false gods of the different regions. And these false gods, you have to understand, these gods, you worship them so that you could have wealth. You worship them so you could have good harvest. You worship them so that you could have good fertility, that you would have families, um, and all these things. This wasn't just, we're going to worship a false god. There was a reason for these things. And they looked around to the other peoples to figure out what to do, rather than following God and what he had called them to do. And during this time when they lived in the land, there was no king. God was to be their king. But every once in a while, he had to raise up a judge because they just couldn't do it. They just wouldn't follow God. They couldn't figure it out. And so the final judge, you had Gideon, you had Samson and Deborah and these series of judges that would go through. And so the final judge was the high priest and a prophet named Samuel. And Samuel traveled all throughout the country trying to get the people of God to follow him, to get rid of all the idols. And I mean, Samuel was a, a tremendous man of God. And Samuel is leading the people, and he, he's old now. He's trying to lead them to a revival. But Samuel is getting old, and his sons, 
who are also priests, were not nearly as good as Samuel. So Samuel's old, and so the people come to Samuel someday. And after a series of wars that went very badly, um, they, they're not honoring God, they're not following God, and they go out to war and they lose, they lose really bad, they lose again, and they go, maybe we need to take the Ark of the Covenant like they did in the conquest, and they take the Ark of the Covenant out, and the Ark of the Covenant gets taken. They go, man, I thought God said he was with us. But they weren't honoring their side of the covenant. They had laid aside their crowns, what God had given them. And so Samuel is old, and they go, Samuel, we don't want to follow your sons. They're not that good. We want a real king. We want a real king. We want a human king like all the other nations have. And Samuel was so mad and so hurt because he understood what God wanted. And he's like, you don't need a king. You have a king. You just need to follow your king. And so Samuel goes and he talks to God. And God says, these people are hard-headed. Go ahead and give them a king. It's okay. And so Samuel goes back and he warns him. He says, if you have a king, this is what he's going to do. He's going to tax you. He's going to take your sons and his daughters, put them in the service. He's going to do all these different things. You don't want a human king. You want, a, you want God to be your king. And, and this is their reply. This is their reply. In 1 Samuel 8, 19 through 20. But the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel, and they said, no, but there shall be a king over us, that we will also be like all the nations, and that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. And when Samuel heard all the words of the people, he repeated them in the ears of the Lord. The Lord said to Samuel, obey their voice, make them a king. Samuel said to the men of Israel, go every man to his city. God wanted them to be different. God wanted them to be a light. And the people of God, Israel, finally said, we want to be like everybody else. We don't want to be different. We want to be like all the other nations. We want a king. And so Samuel does. And it's easy for us to look at the time of the kings and some of the kings and think, oh man, this was the glory day. This was the beginning of the end for Israel when they rejected God as their king and they wanted a human king. Because the story of the kings, the first king was Saul. Saul looked the part. Saul was a head taller than everybody else. He came from a noble family and noble warriors. And so everything about Saul would say he's going to make a great king. You look at him, he looks like a king. And he started off okay. Um, he actually was scared to be king. But as he was leading and having some success and, and obeying God mostly, um, he was doing well. But once he got into that powerful position, he started thinking, I can make the decisions without consulting God. 
And he started doing things that displeased God. And so God rejected his kingship. And so God looked and he found a man after his own heart, and that was David. And usually we, we probably think that the time of David, the kings of Israel, yes, the best time was under King David and because he loved God and he understood that God was the true king. And so God blessed David and David was incredibly successful and he followed God and he led the people and I mean, he was, brought results for the people of Israel and turned him back to God. But when David got too powerful, then he had the story with Bathsheba. Because we were not created man, mankind. We were not created to have complete power. We were created to follow our king, God. And even David, who was the best that mankind had to offer, he did love God. But when he got too much power, he fell, and he could not keep it up. And, and yes, God forgave him for that story, but David's reign was never the same after he fell. It was never the same. And after David came Solomon, and Solomon brought incredible prosperity because of his wisdom. And Solomon, too, he started off wonderfully. He followed God, he honored God, and was just incredibly wise and doing things, and the kingdom prospered. But even Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived on this earth, he could not keep it up. When he got to this place where he was one of the most powerful people in the world, and he, be, like his daddy, he, he loved the ladies, and he married foreign women. He made alliances with foreign powers. And to please these women, he started to establish altars to false gods. And Solomon's began to drift, and he started to worship these false gods. What we see in the story of Israel is not that the kings were the best part. The kings were the beginning of the end, because God was to be their king. And after Solomon fell, and his kingdom fell, it was divided in two, it was never the same. So what do we learn? The kings, mankind was never meant to be able to rule with tremendous power. We were meant to rule under the authority of God. That's what we were called to do. And we need to ask ourselves the same question. Just like the Israelites, and to where there's this beautiful purpose to walk with their God to serve with authority and to fulfill their responsibilities. But they laid their, their crowns aside and they gave it to a human king. Why did, why did that happen? Well, for the Israelites, number one, they couldn't relate to a perfect God. They just couldn't. Part of the story is to point out that we need somebody to go before us. We need somebody go speak to God on our behalf. We need somebody like Moses, but better. We need somebody like David, but better. And it's ever since the end of the king's time, 
The Israelites look forward to the Messiah, the one who would be better than them. And that's a good preview for next week because Jesus did come. Another reason uh, they wanted a different God is um, you can't manipulate or blame a divine God, but you can manipulate and blame a human king. A divine king you can't manipulate, but I can manipulate a human king. Tell me if you've ever had this kind of conversation, okay? Um, Where do you want to eat? Maybe it's in the car, maybe it's not a text, and then the other person says, well, it doesn't matter. You want to choose? Nope. Okay, it's up to you. Okay, let's eat pizza. Oh, we we just had pizza. How about Mexican? Not really hungry for Mexican. Why don't you just choose? I don't want to. I'm starving, really. I could eat anywhere. You choose. Okay, how about Chinese? That doesn't sound good. Burgers? Uh, no. Where do you want to eat? Doesn't matter. How many of you had that kind of conversation? Okay. So we like to think that, you know, oh, it doesn't matter to me. But this is what the manipulation is about. See, we deflect responsibility, but we still try to maintain a sense of control. We don't want the responsibility of making a bad choice, but I sure will take the opportunity to poke holes in your choice that you've made. I would rather be sitting in the crowd yelling at the umpire, telling him how bad he is, than getting behind the plate and trying to be the umpire. I'd rather do that than actually get into the game and be involved. Because I can still try to manipulate the situation without having to be responsible for the outcome. This is how we, one of the ways we take off our crown and we hand it to somebody else. But we hold on very loosely to it. This is the temptation of gossiping. This is why we gossip. Instead of taking the responsibility to try to heal a situation, we just add to it. This is why complaining, we'd rather sit back and watch and complain than to actually get involved and help make the situation better. This is when we set down our crowns. Sometimes we think we're professional advice givers. We like to give advice, but the follow-up to be a part of helping in the situation, we don't want the responsibility of being involved in that. We also find it easier to follow a strong person than to let, and let them make all the decisions. I prefer to follow a better version of me than to risk my comfort and security. See, we start idolizing people's strengths. I mean, Saul looked the part. He looked the part. He was a good warrior. David, he brought great results. He was good at what he did. Solomon, you couldn't get any smarter than him. So why should I step out? Why should I try to do it? Because I can find somebody who looks better than me. I can find somebody who 
is more skilled than me. I can find somebody who's smarter than me, and I'll just let them do it. Even within the church. So often we do that. We take off our crowns in the work of evangelism, the work of teaching, the work of reaching out to friends and and neighbors. That's the pastor's job. That's the elder's job. And we put that down. And here's the problem. Just like David, when we lift up people, even Christian leaders, and we lift them up and we praise them, and we think it's because of them that things are growing, that things are going great. It's because of them. When the fall comes, they're, they're people too. And all you have to do is Google because it happens every day. Big name pastors, big churches who've gotten to this place of fame because of what they've accomplished. And when they fall, they fall hard. And so do the people around them. Our insecurities cause us to defer our responsibility and our authority and our decision-making. It causes us to compromise our convictions. So how do, we, how do we make sure that we hold on to our crown? That we don't just easily give it over? How do we step into that and not be afraid? Even when we're not sure how it's going to turn out, how can we not be afraid? What are we to do? The first thing, number one, Remember who the real king is. You may have a crown, but there is a king, and that is Jesus. Jesus told his disciples, all authority on heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go make disciples, baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teach them to obey everything I've commanded you, and I will be with you always to the very end of the age. Jesus has all authority we may see a situation and, and think, I, I don't know enough. I'm not skilled enough. If Jesus is with you, he will help you step out into that responsibility. Let Jesus lead you. The second thing is remember what the king has called you to be. This is our memory verse in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses nine, verse 9. He says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. What Jesus calls you to do is to step out. That same description that he gave Israel is is what he gives to us, every part part of the church. You are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, And we are called to reveal the wonderfulness of God, all the different great things that he has done in our lives and he continues to do. So what does that mean? It means we are called to be contributors, contributors, not consumers. We're not called to just come and take in. We are called to give, to serve, to be a part of what's going on. This is the heart of what our 5-2 training is. It's not coming and doing something that's not expected. It's coming with what you have. 
like the young boy with five loaves and two fish. Didn't seem like much, but Jesus fed a multitude with it. Be contributors, not consumers. This is also the heart of the pray for one. A very simple prayer. God, just give me one person. Give one, per- one person in my path that I can show them the love of Jesus with my words and actions. Be a contributor. Don't be a consumer. Consumers, this is, this is when you just lay your crown aside. But step out in faith. And so you, the, the challenge I give you this week, one thing, I want you to think of one thing, one area in your life that you know you set your crown aside. I don't know what it is, but what is the one thing? Maybe it's somebody you should talk to. Maybe it's a neighbor you should do something for or a coworker. I don't know, but spend time in prayer this week. God, what is the one thing? What is the what is one thing that I set my crown aside? And pray about it. Ask God, help me have the courage to step out. Have the courage to do what you've called me to do. That's my challenge to you. Because he has given us crowns. He has blessed us. He has given us beautiful calling. And just imagine if everyone, just the one thing, all of us here, one thing that everybody stepped out in faith and did, what the results of just this one church would be in our community. That's my prayer, is that we would do the one, pray for one, and that we would contribute to the God, God's kingdom. Let's pray. Father God, we say thank you. We thank you for your love, your grace. But thank you for how you challenge us. And you've called us to partner with you in this work of the kingdom. You have called us to be light to this world. Father, when we either see ourselves as not good enough, not smart enough, whatever it might be, help us to remember that you are the king. And you are with us. We're not on our own. Help us to step out and share your love. And we thank you in Christ's name. Amen. This morning we come together and we're going to take communion because we have a king. We have a beautiful king. I love how Revelation in chapter 5, he talks about this with Jesus. And we see in the throne room of heaven, a loud voice asks, who is worthy to open the scroll that is in the hand of God? And they look around and they don't see anybody. And John says he begins to weep and there's an angel that says, don't weep. Look, the lion of Judah, the root of David, he has come and he is worthy. For, for John, he understands the king of kings. This is the king. And John expects to turn and see a powerful king, the lion of Judah, the root of David. And he turns and what does he see? He sees one sacrificed as a lamb. 
It's Jesus is the king because he gave himself for our sin. He is king because of what he accomplished on the cross. And that should give us the encouragement. That should give us the strength and the courage. We need to step out to share the love of Christ. And this morning as we gather together to encourage and to take this meal together, we remember our King who gave his life for my sin, for your sin. Let's celebrate together through the Lord's Supper, our King of Kings. Thank you, Jesus, for your sacrifice and your love and that we can follow in your footsteps and not be afraid. We remember you through this, this meal. It's in your name we pray. Amen.